Welcome back, everyone. Sorry about that. Uh, we got dropped on uh, either our connection or whatnot. But I'm talking about Jubilee. And again, uh, uh, let me just bring some scripture to what I'm talking about. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25. I said we weren't going to turn there, but I went ahead and did that anyway. Leviticus 25, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read. And she says, You shall count seven Sabbath e Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seventh Sabbath years shall be to you forty nine years. Verse 9. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. That speaks of Jesus. And you shall make the trumpet to sound. And this trumpet again was made of ram's horns. I'm not going to go all those scriptures. That speaks of the, of the, of the first work of the cross. And, it says, and to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. And you shall, it shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Verse 12. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy to you, you shall eat its produce from this field, and this year of jubilee each of you shall return to his possession. There's a lot here, and I'm not going to go through all the details of this. But, in jubilee, Every debt was canceled. Every family member was returned back to his family because they could have been in slavery because of debts. But every, every debt was canceled. Could you imagine that? Every 50 years, every credit card debt was canceled. All your debts were canceled. And if every prisoner was returned home. You know, I'm not here, I'm not advocating. Uh, some, some people need to be locked up because of a murder and whatnot. I'm not advocating any of that. But what I'm trying to paint a picture here is when, when Psalms writes, Blessed are those who know the joyful sound. He's talking about Jubilee. And on the Day of Atonement, Jesus became our Jubilee. And, 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 and Jesus, because of Jesus, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. He took our sin. He erased it. He took it as far as the east is from the rest. And when we are established in His righteousness, we can be exalted. But when God restores, you see, this, this, whole, this whole idea of Jubilee was holy. It was a command. It was not a suggestion. Jubilee was a command. And you were commanded, when the priest sounded the trumpets, you were commanded to, to release any debts. You know, this speaks so much. Not only does God forgive us, but we are commanded to forgive one another. People who wronged us, people who owe us, we need to have a time every 50 years, in a sense, where we forgive one another. Where we pardon people's debts towards us. <clears throat> I, I, believe how Paul, I forget how Paul said it. But he says, oh, no one anything except your love for one another. The only thing we're supposed to owe anybody anything is love. And we owe them that because Christ is owed that of us. <clears throat> and there's so much I can piggyback on this. But I want to use this to go to Isaiah 61. If you have your Bible, please, please share with me to Isaiah 61. This is really what I want to get to because we're talking about the garden restored. Isaiah 61. Powerful, powerful piece of scripture. 
But he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me. I'm going to come back to that anointed part and conclusions. But because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings, meaning the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim. Proclaim liberty to captives and the opening prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's Jubilee language. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall raise up the former desolations. That's what we're talking about. And they shall repair the ruined cities. That's what we're talking about. The desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. And they shall call you the servants of our God. And you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory, <coughs> you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery or burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant. And their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. And all who see them, all who see them, shall acknowledge them. But they are the posterity of whom the Lord has blessed. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Chapter 462. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. But for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. And her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. And you shall also be a crown of glory in the hands of the Lord. And a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Verse 4 of chapter 62. And you shall not no longer be termed forsaken. Nor shall your land be more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephaestus, and your land below us. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be merry. There's a lot here. I'm not going to have time to piggyback on every single concept. But I'm trying to paint a picture, friends, that God is in the restoring business. Jesus is our jubilee. And the trumpet sounded on the cross. 
You know, let me piggyback on something real quick here. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And we'll pick it up in verse 9. Now, I want to say a couple things before we read Revelation 5, verse 9. Well, and actually, we're going to uh, get Revelation 5. Let's back up a little bit to verse 6. Revelation 5, 6. <coughs> what we're seeing here is John is seeing a revelation of the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is after the cross. This is after Jesus ascended back into heavens. And he's at the right hand of the throne of God. You got that picture with me? And we're going to see in this picture, we're going to see in this revelation, this prophecy of, of, of John, Jesus like a lamb standing on the throne of God. But he's going to be like a lamb with seven horns. We're going to read this. If we go back to Leviticus 25, when I'm, I'm not going to turn there. When the priest standeth, sounded the trumpet on the day of atonement. It, it, the scripture says that there were supposed to be seven priests who were supposed to sound these, these trumpets made of ram's horns. To me, if, I'm trying to connect the dots. I'm trying to make this short. Seven ram's horns. The priests were supposed to stand on the Day of Atonement. And when we read Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, has seven horns. And he's a ram. It says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out in all the earth. I want to scroll down to verse 9. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, and to open the seals, for you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. God has redeemed us by his blood, so that you and I, out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, can reign as kings and priests on the earth. His earth is filled with his glory. God has redeemed us as kings and priests. We are, according to Peter, a royal diadem. We are a holy people. God has restored us. We are, we, church, we were so desolate. We were alienated by, by the life of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But Jesus has redeemed us. God has redeemed us. God has taken this clay and he has made a, a new creation. God has not created anything since the sixth day in creation. But in Christ Jesus, <coughs> we are a new creation, not born of corruptible seed through Adam, but we are born of incorruptible seed through the enduring word of God, Jesus Christ. And God has redeemed us by his blood. God has, and he has redeemed us, and he has made us a royal nation, a holy priesthood, and to our God. And he has filled us with his spirit. And I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1. And the spirit of the Lord is upon us, and he hath anointed us to preach this gospel, to bring glad tidings of good things. God has redeemed you. 
Church, God has redeemed you by his blood. He has made a covenant with you. He has cleansed you. And he is cleansing you. He has cleansed you through Jesus Christ. And he is rebuilding the city. And he is filling you with his spirit. And he is restoring the city. This kingdom of God is within you. And he is filling you with his spirit. So that you can be a blessing. So that you can be a beacon. So that you can be a lighthouse. So that you can be a, a, an instrument where he can use you to be a blessing. So that you can bring glad tidings of good things. So that you can preach the God's hand the good things to the poor, so that you can heal the brokenhearted, so you can proclaim liberty to the captives, so you can open the prison to those who are bound, so you can proclaim the suffering years of your God, so you can comfort those who mourn, and console those who mourn and die, to give them beauty for ashes, and oil of joy for mourning, that God will praise for the Spirit of Heaven, that you may be called oaks of righteousness, trees of righteousness, for His glory, for His splendor, it, all God's going to do all these things in you and through you, not just so you can be so much, but he wants to magnify himself through your life. And in his righteousness, you are going to be exalted. As you humble yourself before God, and trusting his word, trusting his gospel, trusting the anointing of God that is on your life, not just my life or anyone else's life, but God's anointing has anointed you. He has set, he has commanded jubilee in your life, and he's restoring your life and we're in the rightful relationship with him so that God can use you to be a blessing in this earth. That God can use you to be a blessing where God has planted you. Am I making sense? I'm talking about the garden restored. And the first place, the first aspect is the garden restored and having a relationship with God. But because of this right relationship with God, this kingdom that's in you, this garden that's in you, God wants to use you to bring jubilee and blessing and restoration and healing and wholeness to broken lives that need Jesus. God wants you to use you to set the captives free. God wants to use you to heal the brokenhearted. The Spirit of God has anointed you for this. Am I making sense? You know, I want to talk about anointing real quick here. Because it says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed us. Uh, I'll write some things down. I'm actually, uh, with, with that, can you turn with me in your Bibles real quick to Isaiah chapter 10? Isaiah chapter 10. And I just want to look at verse 27 real quick here. It says, And it shall come to pass. Actually, yeah, let's back up a little bit. Uh, let's go to verse 24. Isaiah 10, verse 24, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Syrian. He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and then and, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger and their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him, like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb, and his rod was on the sea, so, so will he lift up in the manner of Egypt. Verse 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that this, his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. 
and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. I want to actually read verse 27 real quick here from the King James. He says, verse 27, And it shall come to pass in that day, that his burden shall be taken away from thy shoulder, and his yoke from thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. What do I mean by this? Where am I going with this? <coughs> and let me just uh, bring a little bit of <coughs> clarity to Isaiah chapter 10. He, God's talking about when Israel, and some of you might not know this in your biblical history, but the Syrians attacked Israel and uh, Syria. But the king of Syria thought it was his strength and his wisdom. He was boasting of what he did. But God said he was going to destroy the king of Assyria for attacking Israel. In Israel, he's saying here in verse 27, in Isaiah 10, verse 27, God's saying that, that Israel, who was captain, would return to their own land. And when he returns it, because of the anointing. Am I making sense? I feel like I'm reading my notes here a little bit, because I want to get this right. God said he, he, he's going to attack, he's going to bring judgment on Assyria. For attacking Israel. And the captives are going to return. The captives, the Israel captives, are going to return to their own land because of the anointing. You know, and this took I me mean, a lot because when we talk about the anointing, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It breaks the yoke of the enemy. It's the anointing. And that tells me that every chain, everything the enemy has, maybe has, inroad has had in your life because of sin. But whether it be your sin or someone else's sin in your life, it's the anointing that's going to break the yoke. It's the jubilee. It's Jesus. It's his anointing that's going to break the yoke. And what's this anointing? The anointing, I believe, is a manifestation of what is already true in the spirit realm. God said he is always with he will never leave you or forsake you. Turn with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll go to verse 21. And Paul writes, he says, For, let's start with verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Verse 21. Now he who establishes us with God in Christ and has anointed us is God. God has anointed us. He has established us in Christ. And he has anointed us. You know, a lot of times we think of anointing, we think of the pastor or prophet or whatever. No, God has anointed you in Christ. Can I say that again? God has anointed you in Christ. Let me, you want another scripture? We'll, we'll, we'll go to another one in just a moment. You know, when Jesus had his earthly ministry, 
He did not start his earthly ministry until he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit of God. Jesus also forbade, he restricted the disciples after the, after the cross, after his resurrection, to not go and not start their ministry until they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But you see, in the in the in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come and go. But in the New Testament, God says He'll never leave us, He'll never forsake us. Amen. God says He'll never leave us or forsake us. In the New Testament, the anointing doesn't come and go. It must be sought after. That's not how the anointing. We don't have to seek for his anointing every time we need the power of God. As we are established in Christ Jesus, we already have the anointing. Money can sense. Go with me real quick to 1 John. I'm going to tie all of this in together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. It says, but the anointing which you have, the anointing which you have, it doesn't say you're going to get, that you lost, that you need, that you had, that you will have. No, it says, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but after the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. And it's true, it's not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. The anointing that's in you has many functions. But one of those things is, is it's to teach you. The anointing will teach you. And one of the things that it will teach you is to abide in Him. Am I making sense? We started this whole series, and my, one of my main points about this whole series about the garden being restored is that you would have a relationship with God. And the anointing will teach you to abide in Him. The anointing is already in you. And you have a teacher who is abiding with you always. And it's teaching you to abide in Him. The anointing of God is simply the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in manifestation. We need to believe and release this anointing and not just ask for it. Now, how are we making sense? We have an anointing because we are established in Christ. We are established in Christ. We have anointing from God. We have His, God said He'll, he'll never leave us or forsake us. The anointing is not us. The anointing is Him in us. And that anointing that is in us is a simple manifestation of God in us. Church, should people see a difference? Should people see a distinction between the people of God and people of the world? And what should be the distinguishing factor? It's that God is with us. The, the distinguishing factor should be we're born of God. And this 
And, and, and go back to Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of God is upon us. And He has anointed us to manifest Himself by preaching the gospel, bringing the tithers into the names, to heal the brokenhearted, and to set the captives free. God has anointed us. God has presence in us. God has distinguished us to love God and to love our neighbors. <coughs> and loving our neighbors is healing the brokenhearted and setting the captives free. Love, loving our neighbors is being blessed, being anointed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. God has blessed us to be a blessing. God has anointed us to set the captives free. God has anointed us as kings and priests to reign the earth, to sound the trumpet of his jubilee, and set the captives free. People need to be set free. I said it last week, that just as Moses, when he was in the backside of the desert and saw a burning bush, God told him in the middle of that discourse that you're going to go back to Egypt and bring them back to this same mountain. One of my hearts in this series about the garden being restored is that you would have a relationship with God. And that would be the cornerstone of your life. That would be the most precious, sacred thing of your life. Your relationship with God. Like that you would have such a relationship with God that out of that relationship of abiding Him, you will go out and bring people to having their own personal relationship with God. And how you do that is by the anointing of God. The Spirit of God is on you to heal the world. And set the captives free. People need to be set free. People need to be loved. People need to be healed. People need God. And you are the first, you can be the first witness of God in their life by how you treat them, how you love them with mercy and grace. And as you are established in His righteousness, not your righteousness, boasting in what you've done, but boasting what He is doing in your life, like a lighthouse. God will exalt you to use you with his anointing and his glory and his honor to bring people into, not to you, but bring people to you so that you can bring them to God so that they can have a living relationship with God. That makes sense. God's going to bring people to you and God's going to use you so you can direct them to having their own personal living relationship with God. It sets the captives free. God has anointed you not to build a, a, a dynasty, but maybe in a sense to use a dynasty of our will to bring people to God. That makes sense? I'm not against dynasties. I'm not against richness. But God's going to use your resources that he has blessed you with to bring people to a living relationship with God. But whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, God's going to use you. That makes sense? Mother Teresa didn't need a lot. She used every resource she had to do what she felt God called her to do. Yet there's people who do have a lot. And that they're using their resources to do what God's called them to do. How about it makes sense with that? I'm, ho I'm hoping you get my heartbeat. I'm saying a lot of different things. I feel like I'm rambling some. But God is your... First of all, you know, it's going to be hard for you to lead people to a living relationship with God if you don't realize that you are set free yourselves. 
If you're, if you're still in bondage to sin, if you're still in bondage with not knowing that you, who you are, that you're in the righteous God in Christ Jesus, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to be limited in how you set people free. Because you're not even free yourself. But you need to be free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But God has set you free so you can bring people to the same freedom. Not to sin, but to live free from sin. And to live, and to live under the righteous God so he can exalt you. God wants to exalt you like he exalted Joseph and Daniel and David and others. That makes sense. God wants to use you, but God wants to do such a restoration in your life that people see it. So that people are intrigued by it and say, I, I want what you got. I don't want them to look at my life, my life before ruins and like, I want Jesus, but I don't want anything you got. <laughs> I don't want my life to look like yours. That is not a witness. That is not a testimony. That is not how this works. But God has anointed us to set the captives free. God has anointed us to make a difference. Hopefully I'm making sense this morning. Uh, this is my heartbeat. This message is twofold in many ways that you have your own relationship with God. But from that relationship, God, you would experience his anointing. You would experience his presence. You would experience God so you can manifest his anointing in other people's lives. Like I said, you know, anointing is just simple and it's a manifestation of what is already true in the spirit. You are already the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. In your spirit, you already have everything you need. Healing, wholeness, provision, everything you need is in your spirit. It's already there. It's already there. Everything you need. Everything you need is in Jesus. Because he has filled you with his fullness. If you have his fullness, you have not only healing, you have the healer. You don't just have provision, you have the provider. You don't just have salvation, you have the Savior. You don't just have wisdom, you have the God of all wisdom. Whatever you need, you have his fullness. You have that anointing to manifest what is already in your spirit. And just as Adam walked with God, you can walk with your Abba, and you can come to his throne of grace in time of need, and you can have a relationship with God. And anything you need, you can have. You, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you have a secret place with God that you can come to in what we call prayer, but I call a relationship. Because if what you call prayer is just a wish list, it's just a genie in a bottle, that's not prayer. I believe we can petition, I believe we can supplicate, I believe we can make requests, made in God, but to me the heart of prayer is a relationship. One aspect of prayer is, is just making requests, made known to God, but that's only one aspect of prayer. At the core is a relationship with God. At its core. If all we did in our marriage, Sherry and I, if all we did is just demand things from one another, asking from one another, and when there was no relationship, that's no relationship, that's no marriage. No, we are in a relationship with God. And out of that, there's things I can ask, but there's also things He can ask of me, too. He can say, will you call so-and-so? Will you go be a friend to so-and-so? Will you go minister to so-and-so? Will you give some resources, some Will you bless so-and-so? He can ask things of me. Because I also know if I have a relationship, there's more where that comes from. 
When God, when Jesus had compassion on the people to feed the multitudes, he knew that he could take the boys' lunch and multiply and feed the multitudes. He did that more than once. When God wants to use you to, to minister to people's needs, he doesn't always have to take from your resources. Church, we have an anointing with God. We have a relationship with God. We can walk in water. We can speak to the fig tree. We can walk, we can, we can uh, feed the multitudes. We can heal the sick. When he sent out the 12, when he sent out the 70, he told them to go preach the kingdom of God is here. Heal the sick. Cast out devils. Raise the dead. We have that anointing because we're establishing Christ and we have the anointing from God. And it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's not me. It's Him in me. But it breaks every yoke in my life and other people's lives. We can bring light where there's darkness. We can bring hope where there's despair. We can sound that trumpet because we are redeemed by his blood to be kings and priests. And where the king makes a decree, and we can make a decree saying, Be healed in Jesus' name. They should be healed. That makes sense. We can bring life. Because we have the spirit of life. We have the fountain of life flowing from us like living water. <clears throat> from our hearts, from our lives. And as we're having a relationship with God, we'll know where to go, where, where, who to minister to. That doesn't mean we're not going to go, everything's going to be a better road. There's going to be people, the enemy will hate us. He will try to take us out. But we have to cleave. We have to, to abide in him. Anyway, there's so much I can share. You know, when I teach the book of Revelation, I don't teach them about all the end time stuff that's going to happen. I mean, Jesus prophesied, Paul prophesied, James prophesied, Peter and John, they all prophesied about the end time events. But I believe the key ingredient about revelation is having a relationship with Jesus. It's about revealing Jesus. Because when all of this, when all hell breaks loose, we need a relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to sustain us. And that's the only thing that we have to offer other people. As, as uh, Peter and John said, Silver and gold, I have not, but in the name, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up among us. We can give people Jesus. We can meet people's needs in very practical ways too. I mean, the early church, they met one another's needs, and I love the scripture where it says, I think in Acts chapter 2, there was no needy among them. I like that. To me, that's what church is supposed to be like. We are our family, and we are supposed to be meeting one another's needs uh, because we have an endless source of resources to meet people's needs. That's awesome. Lord, I, I don't know if I'm communicating well when I'm trying to communicate. But Lord, you have restored a garden. You have restored a relationship with you. And how that relationship is an is a endless supply of resources to rebuild the ruins and set the captives free. Lord, use us. Awaken our eyes so we can see who we are and what we have because of our relationship with you. That everything we need and everything our brother and our sister needs, we have in you. We can feed the multitudes. We can, we can do exploits in your name because the anointing of God is on our lives. We bless you. We bless all those who are listening. We give you thanks.
Amen. Amen. God bless you. And have a good week. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.